couple family moments. Yesterday in this room were Beth Osterlin, who is now Beth Severson. She and her groom, Jordan, joined in holy matrimony. And I was trying to express to them uh, that this is what God has done to bring something good into your life. The Scripture says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. And that it's intended to reflect the relationship between Christ and His church. And that it's best lived in seeking each other's interests rather than to seek their own. And I'll tell you, it was a great wedding. I mean, Beth literally just beamed yesterday. And it was wonderful. And and we don't have a a foliage growing out of our cross. That's from yesterday, so just FYI. And then on Friday, I was up at Hy-Vee over here, coming out, just grabbing something for lunch. And all of a sudden, this little toddler came running out in front of his mother out of the store into the road. And the mom was saying, stop, stop, stop. And he ran right into the road. And fortunately, the pickup truck that was coming his way was only going about five miles an hour. and stopped in plenty of time. And as finally when mom grabbed his hand, he protested. How foolish of her to stop his freedom. Of course he knew much better than she what was best for him. Did not recognize the mother that God had given him to protect and care for him. You know, family can be wonderful. Family can also be super challenging, can't it? And sometimes the family can make demands on us that perhaps are not appropriate. Like they're the ultimate authority or loyalty. And yet, God has made the family. And Christ wants to bring redemption to the family. Last few weeks, we have been going through Colossians chapter 3, and we've been slowly working our way through it. But the theme of this whole chapter is a Christ-centered vision. Starting with, where do I put my eyes? On Him, on things above, not on earthly things. And to start taking my eyes and putting off my fleshly nature, things like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from our lips, taking those things off and putting on Christ, in which he is starting to make us like himself. And those old identities that once separated us, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, Scythian, um, Greek and Jew, slave and free, those things fall by the wayside because we are now in Christ. And we start entering an atmosphere where His character can start being displayed towards one, toward one another. To put on grace, as we interact with each other. Forgiveness to be extended among us. His love and peace bringing unity among us in the body. His word being the atmosphere to flow around us 
and through us. And the glory of His name being the goal of all of us. You see, if you're in Christ, He is doing transformative work in your life, in your heart. Wanting to make you more like Himself. Giving you a new identity, new behavior, how you live, how we treat one another. And to redeem and reclaim us. And within that, He wants to redeem and reclaim not only us, He wants to redeem and reclaim the family which he made. So, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let me pray before we dive in, because I think the Lord wants to say some things to us today. So, Father, I'm grateful that you sent your Son to redeem us, to reclaim us. And not only are you redeeming us and reclaiming us as individuals, not only are you redeeming us and reclaiming us as a community, but you're redeeming and reclaiming our families. So would you give us grace to hear what you have to say to us, to respond to you in spirit and in truth, and in faith, to trust you. Because I know what this word has to say, and it's challenging. But it's also for our good, and giving you a chance to work in us and through us. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want to say to us today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 18 and work our ways through chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do, not, and, and do it not only when their eyes are upon you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart in reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, I don't know how you initially respond to this. I don't know how you're taking this in. Maybe to our American ears, where we're very concerned about our rights, it may seem antiquated to us. But I will tell you this, this certainly did address family relationships in first century uh, Rome, in the Roman Empire, especially from a Gentile perspective. And Paul's really addressing three relationships here. Husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. And at this time realized that slaves were actually a part of a household. And if you want to do a deeper dive, I, you know, I'm not going to unpack everything the scripture says about these things. If you want to do a deeper dive into these areas, you want to look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 through 6-9 and or 1 Peter 
chapter 2, verse 13, through chapter 3, verse 7. And if you want me to repeat those to you later, I can come find me after the service. But if you want me to do a deeper dive into all these things, you certainly can look into this. But here's the challenge of these relationships, right? Is that one is in the place of authority or leadership over another. And sin has marred these relationships. And the results can often be selfish motives, abuse, taking advantage of another, exploitation, degradation, and complete lack of love. And we know it. We see it around us all the time. We see it play out through history. Sin has played its role. And I'm not telling you that abuse and misuse does not take place in the family. It does. But again, what I'm saying is Jesus wants to redeem the family. See, because our fleshly reaction is self-protection. Or i got to take care of me. And you can do that, but you're not giving the Lord a, a chance to bring His redemptive work into that situation. So, there are four things I want you to see as we work through these areas. Number one, number one, Christ's grace, love, forgiveness, and unity starts in the family. And we'll come back to these things, but just here's where I'm going. Number two, Christ wants to redeem the family relationships as unto Him. Number three, questions about exceptions can reveal our own hearts. Number four, our refusal to obey is often our refusal to obey the Lord. Again, remember what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to redeem everything in the life of the believer. And last week, we were talking about this redemptive work in the body. And I'm just going to pick it up at verse 12 for a moment and read through verse 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now remember, these comments were made to a young church that were coming together from different backgrounds, Jewish, Gentile. And before, before they came to Christ, they may have been enemies. They may have been people who were at odds with each other. But now they're to extend grace to one another. How much more the family? How much more should these things be applied to our families? These verses here are great advice for a marriage. These verses here are great advice for a family. Christ's grace, love, and forgiveness, unity, starts with the family. Putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Patience. They don't stop when we get to this section about the family. It's like, oh, oh no, sorry, wrong context. 
No, this bleeds over into the family. That's where these things should start. The family is the most basic, essential unit of human relationships and support. It's basically what keeps us alive for our our childhood, right? And for believers, it should be a laboratory for godly love, grace, and forgiveness. And that is the unfortunate thing. Too often the family is a source of hurt, soul damage, and a warped view of who God is, especially as the Father and how He loves, or doesn't love, if you will. And here's the sad thing. Sometimes this happens in Christian families. Why is that? The same person that is really gracious at church to other people is slamming and slandering and bringing damage to their family, being incredibly harsh, cutting and demeaning. Why is that? Are we trying to keep up appearances? Are, we, are they too close and they hurt so we feel like we need to strike back? Or maybe that's been modeled in our own household and we just are kind of reacting out of what we've seen, what we've learned. But Jesus is redeeming the family. So what if we experienced in the household compassion, kindness, Humility, gentleness, bearing with each other, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. Not holding grievances against each other. Forgiving as the Lord forgave us. How would that change our family? And in doing so, how would that change even our church? So, this grace love Forgiveness, it starts in the family. Number two, Christ wants to redeem the family relationships as unto him. Now again, I've already just stated, there's no shortage of abuse in the family. In the first century and even now, wives could be beaten or cheated on or treated as property. Children, talking about the first century, viewed as non-persons, neglected, and infants, if they didn't like the sex or they, didn't, they found the child you know, unacceptable, would leave them out in the cold to exposure to die. Slaves, treated as property. They had no rights. They could be treated any way the master desired with no legal recourse. But Jesus wants to redeem the family. He wants to redeem how we operate. It's all in relation to him. Just kicking back to verse 17. We looked at last week. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, listen to this, do it all in the name of Jesus. Do it all in the name of Jesus. So be a wife doing it all to Jesus. Be a husband doing it all to Jesus. Be a child, doing it all unto Jesus. Be a servant, doing it all unto Jesus. This should affect every area of our family relationships. Let's go through a few 
Let's start with husband and wife. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The truth is God has created men to lead their families, ladies. And you're to follow his lead, not in response to his ability or what you deem worthy, but rather in reverence in relation to trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an act of faith. It says, as is fitting to the Lord. I know it's easy for me to say. Okay? But here's the thing. This is an opportunity to see Christ work in your family. I'm not guaranteeing that your husband is going to automatically just turn to the Lord, but you're giving him an opportunity as you respond in obedience to do his change work. Giving God an opportunity to do work as you trust him rather than pushing back or grumbling or rebelling or trying to manipulate him. This is an opportunity to trust him. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be at work and for my husband to see Christ at work in me. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now this command seems like a no-brainer. I mean, that just seems like, come on, don't be harsh with your wife. You should love them. Understand, this, this is set in a first century context. And we're changing culture, we're changing lives. People coming to Christ. Realize that one of the things that, how men, Roman men, used to relate to their wives... They were there to produce children and heir. Keep the household. As far as friendship, they hang out with their buddies. As far as lovers, they'd go see prostitutes or others. Paul's saying, no. Your life has changed. You're not doing that anymore. That's not who you are. Put to death, therefore, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed. That's who you were? Not anymore. That changes. Rather, you are to love your wife. And if the letter to the Ephesians circulated into Colossae, you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Hey, buddy, you're supposed to give up your life for her. Not just be a good dude. You're supposed to give yourself for her. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And that might be hard. You know why? Because sin is an equal opportunity employer. Because you might experience a wife who is grumbling, who's pushing back, who's rebelling, who's trying to manipulate you. And you just want to be rough. You want to push back. But what if they see the tenderness of Christ in you? And loving them as Christ loved the church. How does she have an opportunity to change and respond in the redemptive work that Christ wants to do in her heart? Christ wants to redeem and be Lord of the family. Can you trust Him with that? Will you give Him an opportunity to be at work in your family? Between children and parents, 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is obviously rooted in one of the, the Ten Commandments. It's actually the fifth, where we start moving from relationship to God to relationship to man. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Your obedience to your parents is oftentimes in relation to obedience to God. In fact, there's a, this is the first commandment, what? With a promise. What's that promise? Anyone know that? Come on. Someone sing it out loud. Sing it proud. It'll go well for you, and you'll live long in the land, right? The first commandment with a promise. Our parents are our first expression of God's authority and care over us, right? They help us learn to obey and have self-control. You know, truth of the matter is, when we're kids, when we're trying to throw off obedience or authority of, of, of what our parents are telling us to do or whatever, it's not because they're so abusive. It's because we just don't want them to be, we don't want to be told what to do. We want to eat ice cream first. We want to be free to do whatever we want. We want to play with the blender. Right? Mom and Dad say, no, that's not good. That's not good for you. They're not giving us boundaries because they're trying to, you know, put us in bondage. They're trying to protect us. I'm thinking about that little toddler, right? He better learn to obey his mom. He better learn to listen. He better learn to look both ways. Or else he's heading for a world of hurt. And let me tell you, when I deal with people from Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge, so oftentimes that's what's broken. A bad relationship with the parents, and they have not learned self-control. And that needs to be rebuilt but again, listen. Children, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. Kids, here's what I want to tell you. Your mom and dad are not asking you to obey because they're meanies. It's because they love you. And you have a chance to see Jesus at work in your family as you obey them. And they're not as dumb as they look. You'll find out they're a lot smarter when you get older. But this is an opportunity to obey as unto the Lord. I love all these kids laughing right now. It's awesome. I'm talking to you. That's right. But the Lord's talking to you. Because He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to have that promise. That it may go well with you and you live long in the land. Then it flips back. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Now we can apply this to mothers. Certainly, there are certainly mothers who could be harsh, could embitter their kids. But here again, it's pointing to the father, the power of the father as the head of the household. The father has a lot to say. In fact, in first century, the father had a lot to say as far as determining where you're child would end up. Maybe you'd apprentice your son out to an artisan, or maybe you'd marry your daughter to this farmer or what have you. But dad had a lot to say. 
But dad had a lot to say and impact spiritually as well. Men, instinctively we know that God is calling us to lead. That we need to be the moral compass for our families. And that we have an opportunity to impart some serious spiritual input into our kids. In fact, statistics show that if dad is, is taking the kids to church, it's more likely that those kids will continue following the Lord and going to church later on than if it's just mom by herself. Dad has a, an amazing impact on the family. But here's the thing, though. Sometimes we know that we're supposed to be in charge, and we can overwield that power. We can overwield that authority. I don't know why. Maybe it's a reaction. Maybe we don't want to appear too soft on our kids. Like we're a pushover or we're permissive. Maybe sometimes we want to make sure they know that we're in control. Hey, Dad's the big dog here. Okay? If you don't comply with the big dog, you might get bit. Or maybe you're trying to set a high standard for your kids to keep pressing on, but you're never satisfied. They never quite please you. You never let them have an attaboy. You never let them have a, I'm proud of you. Because you think they're going to keep reaching, but eventually they'll just be discouraged. Eventually it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. And so they quit. They're discouraged, and you're just an ogre in their mind. And remember, men, dads, oftentimes how we appear before our children is how our children oftentimes think of God as Father. It's not necessarily true, but there's a connection there. And sometimes we just like the power. Because I can. I say no, because I'm dad. That's, that's our own flesh, that's our own pride, and we need to repent of that. And if that's true of you, if that's true of me, we need to stop it. We need to stop it. We need... Yes, we need to set boundaries, rules, help discipline our children, expect obedience. I think it's okay to expect obedience and to deal with that if it doesn't happen. But we also need to express, as I said earlier, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You need to bear with your kids and forgive them because they're going to hurt you. They're going to disappoint you. But are you trying to get back at them for how they hurt you or disappoint you? Are you being punitive because you're hurt, you're angry? It's a poor reflection on you. It's not about you. It's about leading your children to know and follow the Lord and experience some of the Father's grace through you. Is that happening, fathers? But here's the truth also. If you can express that compassion, that kindness, that humility, that 
gentleness and patience, they can learn those things through you as well. It's a great teaching opportunity. Christ wants to redeem the family and be Lord of it. Are you willing to put aside being harsh, but be firm and consistent in your compassion? Last of all, between slaves and masters, I guess we would say, in our context, employer and employee. Verse 22, slaves, obey earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, slavery in the Roman Empire and slavery in the United States of America are not exactly one for one. There were actually advantages to slavery in the Roman Empire. You could move up in position. It was a way to get out of debt, to sell yourself to slavery until that debt was paid off. You could be a part of a household. Realize, you know, there were no public schools to plug you into. You came into this world, and you could be all on your own, destitute. If you could be a part of a household, you could be part of something and, and be cared for. You could advance. And even listen to this. This wasn't necessarily so much true in the first century, but later on, Christians actually sold themselves into slavery so that they could take the gospel someplace to their masters. I'm not saying God is calling us to that. I'm just saying that's what God was doing in those believers at the time. But here's the thing also. They were still under the master's will and control. Again, I, we don't have that dynamic here in the United States. It's, it's rather employer-employee. But here's the, the major thing. Change who you serve. Change who you serve. Back up to verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Change who you are serving. But let's kick back just for a moment back to the first century. Imagine this message coming to a slave who had no rights, who had no inheritance. But in Christ Jesus, there is a reward. There is an inheritance coming. Something better than what I'm experiencing right now. Think of the hope that they're experiencing there. And serving in faith as unto Christ gave them a hope of a reward and an inheritance. Again, truth of the matter is not m many of us work in a household unless you have a family business. But what if we served at our workplace, our place of employment, with all of our hearts? as unto the Lord. What might your boss notice? What might your fellow employees notice? Hey, 
What makes that guy, what makes that gal tick? Man, they're a hard worker and they, they do it with a great attitude. See, Christ wants to redeem and be Lord of the workplace. Even if it's only he who notices. If you're an employee, are you, who are you working for? Jesus says, work as unto me. And then the other side of the equation, 4, verse 1. Masters, provide for your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So think of the context here. This is now a Christian master, a Christian slaveholder. And Paul's saying, hey, you know what? You're going to be held accountable for how you treat those who you are over. Are you providing for what they need? Are you properly, fairly compensating them? And are you allowing them, listen to this, are you allowing them to earn and purchase their freedom? Or are you keeping them perpetually in debt and making them slaves in perpetuity? Are you being fair with that? To purchase their freedom. In fact, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. If you can gain your freedom, do so. Hey, but Christian master, leader, realize that these are people Christ died for as well. And maybe in the socioeconomic chain, you look down on them from a worldly standpoint, but in the eyes of Christ, which you're supposed to have, Christ died for them. And what if they become a believer? What if they actually put their faith in Christ and now that slave is now your brother, your sister in Christ? How does that change things? And we're not talking about a hypothetical here. This is actually happening in this letter. Because you know who's going to deliver this? A guy named Onesimus. And you know who lives in Colossae? His master, Philemon, who he ran away from as an unbelieving slave and came back as a believer. And Paul says, hey, Philemon, I'm not going to command this as an apostle, but appeal to you as a brother in Christ. Set Onesimus free. He's more useful to you now than as a runaway slave. He is not your brother in Christ. How does that change how you view him? How you care for him? How you think about him? You know, Christianity really was the impetus for the abolishment of slavery. Men like William Wilberforce, even our own civil war. And it's an imperfect process. An imperfect process. But I think part of it was just the understanding that slavery was untenable, ultimately, for the follower of Christ. I cannot continue to own this person, if you will, in perpetual slavery. I need to set them free, as I've been set free in Christ. So are you a boss? Are you a supervisor? Are you a leader at work? And here's the question. Would those under you say that they see the care of Christ coming from you as you lead them? Would those under you see that you have the care of Christ for them as you lead them? 
Because Christ wants to be Lord of the workplace through you as a boss. Even if you're the only one, even if he's the only one who sees. He wants to redeem these things. So let me finish with these questions. There's always questions about the exceptions. Submit in everything? Obey in everything? There are exceptions. If someone has commanding you to do something that's unethical, that's against the law, that's against the Lord, the answer is no. The, you know, Peter says to the, the Sanhedrin, who were the spiritual leaders, authorities in Jerusalem, we must obey God rather than men, as they were told to stop preaching the gospel. Sorry, guys, we can't do it. And we'll take the consequences, but we must obey God rather than men. Earlier in that same chapter, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, brand new church, they wanted to impress people by how much they were giving. And they said, we gave so much, but they're actually holding that back. So Ananias comes in and Peter says, hey, you lied to us, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and God's going to judge that. He drops dead. A few hours later, Sapphira shows up saying, hey, where's, where's Ananias? Hey, did you guys uh, sell this for this, such and such a price? Uh, uh, y- yeah. She drops dead. She was obeying her husband, submitting to him, so to speak, but her following her husband in her fraud brought forth consequences. There are exceptions. But on the other hand, I want to ask this. Are we looking for exceptions because we really want to obey God or because we really don't want to submit to the earthly authority over us? Because it's hard. Because it's not what I would do. I want to remind you that Jesus fits a lot of these categories we've talked about. He knows what it's like to be under the authority of imperfect parents. Can you think about that? Parents who he created as God, he had to submit to as a little child. He knew what it's like to take on the very nature of a slave and a servant. He emptied himself for us for godly and redeeming purposes. And to obey his heavenly Father even in going to the cross when he in his flesh did not want to. He wanted to recoil from that. And yet he said, not my will, but your will. For your redemptive purposes, Father. Let's not mistake God's will for our own. Just because I feel something strongly does not mean that that's what God is saying. Let's just give an example. Let's say, kids, your parents tell you, you can't go to youth group until you've done your homework. Oh, man, don't you want us to experience the the spiritual input of Pastor Neil and all that's going on there? You need to do your homework. Because I know when you get home at 9.30, you'll be too tired for that. So let's put away the video games, do the homework, and then we can go to youth group. Things like that. 
Just because you feel strongly about something does not mean that's what God is saying. Christ wants to redeem and be Lord of the family in our obedience. Last of all, our refusal to obey is often our refusal to obey the Lord. Verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong. And there is no favoritism. Now you can choose to say no. You can choose to do your own thing. But know that God, in Christ, is the one who made the family. And if you're a follower of his, he has expectation that you'll actually obey him, take him at his word. In fact, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I expect you to follow through. I expect you to trust you. I expect you to think, I might actually be able to do something in this situation if I am obeying Christ. But if you don't, God says, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to respond to that. And I'm not going to show favoritism just because you're a boss or a husband or a wife or a child or an employee. No one gets a pass. How did you respond as unto Christ? Did you say, yeah, okay, Jesus, I want to give you a chance to do your redemptive work here, to be at work in me and in this situation, to let him do it as you obey, as you love, as you extend grace in the family, a hard situation maybe even, but to do it as unto him and trust him for the results because he really does want to do his redemptive work in us and through us. And it might not be instant. It might not happen. Trust me, I've known plenty of wives, husbands, moms and dads who've been praying for their family members to turn to Christ. And sometimes it takes years and decades but it's trusting Christ with these things and walking in obedience to him that he might do his redemptive work in the family. Let me pray and I'll invite the worship team to close us here. So Lord, again, these are challenging words and they're not without acts of faith, of courage that you would be at work in us and in our families. But would you give us grace to say yes to you, to trust you with our individual situations. And Lord, I know that I've not addressed every scenario, every situation. But I pray that you'd give us grace to trust you and know that you want to be at work in our families, to love you as we love our family members. So, Continue your redemptive work in our families, we pray. Draw that husband, that wife who's in rebellion against you to yourself. Draw that child who's in rebellion against you to yourself. Draw that boss. Draw that employee who's in rebellion against you to yourself. And let them see Christ in us. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.